Hello, everyone. This is W, host of the High Art on the Edge page. Welcome to another episode of Surprise Cast. Grab yourself a refreshing drink, sit back, and enjoy this educational and entertaining episode. Today's guest is an experienced and exceptional drummer for the indie alternative band, The Boxer Rebellion. Piers Hewitt is his name, and pounding the skin of the drum kit is his game. Starting at the tender age of seven, he picked up the sticks and worked his way up the ladder. So let's learn more about this extraordinary musician, Piers Hewitt. Welcome to Surprise Cast, Piers. How are you doing? Hi, that's excellent to be introduced as a musician rather than a drummer. That's mm-hmm. great. You know, get that old the joke of, what do you call a guy that hangs around with musicians, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being part of this experience, and I greatly appreciate your time. I want to start off with some something light here with regards to, I'm always curious about how artists, musicians start their day. What gets your day going? Is it coffee? Is it music? Is it exercise? What gets you up in the morning? Well, now... <clears throat> It's absolutely nothing to do with music. It will be purely because I have like the most horrendous logistical home life, but it requires me to do all the school runs in the morning. I have two kids, nine and six. Their school is over a mile, just over a mile away. And my entire time from the moment I wake up at about 20 to seven until nine o'clock devoted to other people i don't consume anything i just try and get everyone out of the house without people shouting at each other and then for most of those mornings because i have a later start to what i need to be doing with my day the most i will go for a run so i did a i did a 10k run this morning after the school run and that gets me that gets me going but that but that doesn't happen until about two and a half hours after I've woken up. So, yeah, so I don't consume anything because normally I'm about to go and do some exercise and I don't really like to eat or drink or anything before I exercise. So that's what I do. I I get shouted at. Where in England are you? I am in a small city called Chelmsford, which is kind of north, not far from London, about 40, 40 miles out of London, but kind of north northeast and it's in the county of essex which is the most it's the county that kind of sides on east side to 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 london really it's been over the years have been quite a, a spill out of londoners into into essex and chelmsford is the used to be the county town and it became a city about 10 years ago it's about it's a nice distance from london so i can be in the middle of london on a train within within the hour really but I don't have to live in London, which I've never wanted to do. So you've just shared your morning kind of routine ritual experience where you're located now. I would like to know, where did you grow up and how did that place shape you as the person you are today? <clears throat> I didn't grow up far from here, to be honest. So I grew up in a town called uh, Billericay, which to a lot of Americans sounds like it might be in Ireland, but it's not. It's about twenty minutes south of here. Because of because of its locality to London, a lot of a lot of people I know and grew up with haven't really moved away. So you know, a lot of obviously a lot of work has been is in London. I used to, I've always been in and out of London. The band has obviously worked quite a bit in London, and I studied there before. So I think where I grew up certainly helped certainly helped shape what I'm doing now because like I said I've always had easy access to say the London music scene um so particularly particularly in my kind of late teens and 20s and like being able to easily you know whoever plays whoever tours the world will play London right so you know you kind of in a way you kind of got access to anybody 
who plays music and tours it extensively. So that's always, you know, I've never lived in a, I've never lived in the middle of nowhere or in, or in a city that's nowhere near another city. I've always lived quite close to London. So that's definitely shaped what I've been able to do. As I said, I studied at a contemporary music college in London as well, whilst also being able to live at home. I didn't have to live in London and, and get sucked into, you know, kind of all my money going to some to some dirty, expensive pad in London, you know. So, yeah, it's definitely helped shape what I'm doing now. I've got lots, lots of local contacts as well as music industry contacts in, in London. I enjoy being pretty local these days. <clears throat> and yeah, as you as you've uh, as we'll talk about, I, I teach as well, so I've got a network of teaching around here and <clears throat> yeah, it's uh it's a good place for it's been a great place to kind of be involved with with music one way or another and also in my scenario now, it's a great place to raise a family and be within arms reach of London. Speaking of family, how did any family members or relatives make an impact on your life? Quite a bit, I'd say. Both my parents were music teachers, and they were, they were teachers in school, but they were <clears throat> they they primarily taught music as well. My dad ran a choir for decades. Uh, my mum's always been a singer. My brother is still an excellent violinist, though he never did it professionally. So music's kind of always been around me. I had a church upbringing with with my parents too. With with any with any background like that, you come into contact with a lot of people who play music because it's a huge part of it's a huge part of going to church. So some of my earliest experiences of actually, by the time my parents convinced me to actually play drums in front of anyone other than myself. That they they were my earliest experiences of playing with people, and that was great because it kind of got me to play with lots of different people, which I wouldn't normally have done at a quite a young age. So, yeah, that's all down to my, as all down to my family. I don't know how confident a drummer I would have been by the age of sixteen without any of that. To be honest with you, who knows? I remember when I was a young boy, my brothers and I would sit around the computer and play video games on Sunday. We used to listen to a show by Casey Kasem. He was playing Top 40, The Bengals, Thompson Quinns, you name it. So that was kind of the early seeds for me. What I want to know from you is when did music begin to shape you as a person? When did it begin to grab hold of you? And you were understanding kind of its power. That's a good question. Yeah, I, I mean, as I said, my earliest, my earliest experience of music. Oh, my my parents, by the way, were, and still are, very much classical musicians. So I never inherited this like amazing, you know, half a room full of sixties and seventies vinyl records or anything like that. I none of that. So kind of. Uh, and, and my brother was a little bit older than me by his own admission. He he probably also wasn't the coolest kid on the block in terms of music. So I didn't really inherit any strong desires to, well, I didn't really know, to be honest with you. I didn't have music, like rock music wasn't played too much in my house beyond some really obvious ones like Queen and Phil Collins and Genesis and stuff. And, and so I kind of, I don't know. It was a bit of a hotchpotch. I remember some of the earliest things that I that I enjoyed listening to, because by that stage I was aware that I enjoyed drums. It was actually a lot about like acid jazz, because in the early nineties, kind of acid jazz was quite a big thing. And it's and I still feel like you know playing that that type of music is a lot lot of fun, a lot more fun to play than it is to listen to as a drummer anyway, kind of love all the kind of like funk elements to it. But I didn't really know. I was kind of like feeling my way in the dark when it came to music really like burning in me. And I've, like I said, my, my kind of church upbringing was fairly strong when I was younger. And I kind of, there's a lot of elements of that, which were not secular and popular. 
but I knew a lot, an awful lot about, I mean, the Christian scene in America is a lot bigger than it is here, but I kind of knew a lot of Christian artists because I grew up with people who only listened to Christian music, right? So I've weird. I was kind of like acid jazz, bit of, bit of Christian music, the odd, the odd like guitar band that got chucked my way at school. So like I was a, I was quite an early Blur fan and never, never Oasis fan, but never to the point that I got, that I really got going to gigs until I was like 17 or so. But to be honest, I think it was just some of those really, that kind of, that the early things that I listened to off my own back. Like I remember, and when we might talk about this later, but I remember like Spin Doctors, which was like, you know, very drum heavy. And I remember thinking, this, this sounds, the drums sound great. Like the drums were, the drums were like, it's not one of the drums were like massively high in the mix. Like this is, this sounds like I could get involved with this from a drumming perspective. It all kind of had its roots in drums to begin with rather than, Oh, this is great music. Does that make sense? Back in 1983, I was at a sleepover with a bunch of my buddies. And that was the year that Synchronicity by the Police came out. And we played that album over and over and over. And I started to take notice in the percussive work by Stuart Copeland. And I was completely dumbfounded, even though I didn't know what exactly he was doing on the skins. I just knew it sounded really interesting. Who were some of those drummers that you kind of looked at and inspire, aspired to either play in that manner or just pick up the sticks and really start banging away and taking lessons? Well, taking lessons came that was, you know, that was, um, you know, my parents kind of got me, got that into me pretty early on. That I didn't really feel, I didn't really have any choice in the, in the, in, Drum lessons, they kind of got, they, they got them when they thought I was old enough. But I, really, in terms of like individual drummers, <clears throat> I, had, I had a group of people who were a few years older than me, who, again, not people I went to school with, people I'm still friends with now, but they, they used to have, they kind of had that similar, similar church background. But they, I remember one or two of them would, they were really into their music and they were kind of eight or 10 years older than me. So it was kind of cool occasionally to get a few of their recommendations. But one of them was um, Paul Weller, actually. So in obviously, I didn't know much about Paul Weller other, other than he was doing solo stuff because I was only about 12 or 13 or whatever when Wildwood came out. And I didn't, didn't really register with me at the time that the jam had been around ages ago and that he had his whole, his, his, his whole, time with the style council before in, in the middle of that but his solo stuff in the 90s i was put onto by another drummer and and i was i was kind of i remember being quite fixated by steve white who played on all of those records in the 90s at least his style had a big influence on me because it could it kind of took me away from feeling like i wanted to be this like acid jazz drummer for that was that was a, that was a short phase, but there's still elements of that that I enjoy. But Steve White had this kind of um, brilliant delivery in that he knew how to serve a song really well, and then every now and again he'd throw in something which I'd have to rewind and go, I don't I don't understand why how he's what's he what he's done there, you know, and and it. It was still wasn't out of wasn't out of whack with the song. It didn't it didn't tread all over it. It was just you know just a moment of finesse or class that that just kind of sends that drummer to a different level. But I don't like to hear that too much, right? But it was just you know just like a little occasion occasional flashes of brilliance which made me check him out as a drummer rather than. Oh, I really like that Paul Weller stuff, right? And uh, interestingly enough, I really liked about three of those Weller albums. And as soon as Steve stopped playing with him, I didn't really like them anymore. They just sounded a bit bland to me. And a lot of people say, like, I know some people that think Weller a bit bland in, in general, but those those records in the 90s were not. And they were massively aided by Steve's style, 
really. And I actually, I teach from quite a few books and his is one of them. And it's, there's some really interesting, really quite hard stuff in it as well. So I kind of like to have a play through it myself. But I'm yet to meet him, which is kind of annoying. One of my friends, actually, who is a teacher, the brother of the Box Rebellion bassist, he had Steve White in last week for a drum clinic. I couldn't believe it. <clears throat> he just messaged me out of the blue saying, I'm in a drum clinic with Steve White. And he's nothing. He's, he's not a drummer at all. So he's, uh, I'm, I'm going to see him at the weekend. I'm quite, I'm quite annoyed about the fact that he's managed to meet him before I have. But anyway, Steve White's probably the drummer for me and from, the, from that early phase of drummers that, that made, changed maybe the way I started to play. Okay, yeah. So let's go a little deeper into your drumming prowess. I want to know if you're sitting at the drum kit, what element, what part of that drum kit really speaks to you is it the ride symbol is it the crash symbol is it the bass pedal is it all of the above depending on what i'm doing i guess in the box of rebellion i've used a lot i've used my symbols a lot uh, in a quite a dynamic way and i've always enjoyed one of our main elements which is i've always enjoyed the challenge of like building a track rather than it being, you know, quite straight from start to finish. But really the engine room of the engine room of my kit all the time is the snare drum. And, you know, getting do I've done a lot of snare work down the years. I've done a lot of stuff where kind of constant, you know, if you want to get into like <laughs> drumming, drumming stuff, like constant rolling sixteenths and accent based stuff on there and 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 bringing introducing the hi-hat in a in a sparing way rather than just having the hi-hat as a leading part of what i'm playing it's just for me i've always felt like the snare drum is the engine room of what you're <clears throat> capable of doing a lot of rudimental things blossom out from there i've done a couple of gigs with other people where i've only had hi-hat snare and bass and so all of your you know you got you got to work that kit really hard and and again, it's the snare drum, really, that is snare drum work, which can set you apart, I think, anyway, in the, the rudimental element of that, that can set you apart from from other drummers. But So probably snare drum and ride cymbal. I've used a, used a ride cymbal in, you know, I've tried to get as much change out of that ride cymbal as I possibly can. For the listener that's listening to this episode, if you have not seen Pierre's play in a live context, what he's telling you is absolutely true. It's a really powerful, visceral experience to watch you perform and use these pieces of the drum kit in a way to really enhance a song. So I need to ask you, Pierre, what is your methodology? What is your kind of regimen when it comes to practicing the drums? Are you kind of a two to three hour day, 30 minutes? What is your approach to getting better and better? I mean, these days, my practice happens whenever I can fit in, right? So, <laughs> if I if if I had all if I had all schedules cleared and I was you know, I was drumming day in day out professionally and I had nobody asking me to do this and that, then I would you know, in the same way that I kind of had a, had a structure with the band when we were you know recording and writing together. I've always tried to keep like weekends as weekends, so you know, you know, you you ha you kind of work towards the kind of the end of the week, and you don't you don't feel like everything just spills over, and you don't get any kind of um, be beginning or end. So I've, whenever I was in the studio with the band the other days, I would always make sure that I dedicated a good chunk of time in that day to 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 practice myself. So a lot of my practice these days is off the kit and on a practice pad so it, it's uh it's kind of almost like keeping your it, it's kind of almost like keeping your your physical ability up particularly in your in your hands there's nothing worse like you know you can go on holiday for a couple of weeks and you come back behind the kit and you genuinely feel worse so the things that can really keep you on top of stuff for me anyway <clears throat> you can do on on a on a practice pad because that's where you really keep your 
your physical abilities up. And I do so. I sit, sometimes I come in here in the evening. I'll, if I've got some time, I put I put a game of football on the on the laptop, and I'll get my practice pad, and I'll and I'll kind of literally drill it through, and I'll watch it for a minute, and then I'll have fifteen seconds break when I can see it on the on the screen, and then I'll go right one minute fifteen to two minute fifteen on another exercise, and it's a lot of a lot of r- repetitive. <clears throat> A lot of repetitive exercise stuff. It's quite. I find it quite easy to sit down and create grooves, but that doesn't necessarily keep up my physical abilities as a as a as a as a player. If you can't keep, if you don't keep up with that element, then you will. You, you I feel. I, I feel like you'll you'll only really improve almost kind of in your in your head. You know, there's a coordination element, but there is a physical element to being able to keep up that standard, which really comes down to rudiments. Oh, I'd like to ask you, if you don't mind, because we have aspiring young drummers out there, experienced drummers as well, what do you do in terms of keeping your physical being strong? Is it is drumming really about posture is it about stretching before? Is it what? What are some of the techniques you apply to keep yourself fit? Funnily enough, we've always been a pretty we've always been a pretty hands on band, and and in that regard, I mean, you know, we never quite reached the stages where we turn up at a venue, we bugger off, and lots of other people do everything until we just turn up and everything's set up at soundcheck. We never we just never got to that. To that to that level so we're quite used to you know getting to a venue and loading our stuff in we might not load it out but, you know loading stuff in setting it up and actually you know it's quite a physical element to that part of being being in a band as well and obviously as a drummer in a rock band at least that's a physical job so when we started we had a bit of a hiatus from kind of 2018 i'm going slightly off piece with your question but Within about nine months to a year of not touring it at all, I really noticed it. And also I was in my I was in my kind of mid to late thirties, which is a kind of time in life when you feel like things can slow down if you naturally slow down. You're not I feel like you're not building anything, you've just got to try and keep things at a level physically. So that's actually how I took up that's why I took up running. I ran out of I couldn't getting the time to get to a gym was was I was falling short on that but again because I've got kids in my life and that's a very time consuming thing so I'm I'm aware of like of the the strength of not doing shows night after night and not loading into a venue but the other thing about it is <clears throat> which I think is just as important I I want to stay fit uh, I've never been a, I've never been like a I've never been a slim guy I've always kind of I probably always, I've been on the on the wrong side of, you know, wrong side of things in terms of my, in terms of my weight, and always feel like I've got to make up for that a little bit, and that's drumming aside. But what I don't, what I don't really ever want to do is to to sit behind a kit, do a show for an hour and a half, and feel like I'm really tired. And so I've always felt like, particularly in this time when. <clears throat> In my life, when I'm finding it hard to kind of get out and be physical, I've had to really kind of go the extra mile, almost literally, to make sure that when I do, when I am back behind the kit, and it's not as often as it was, um, yeah, like I said, I'm just, I, I want to be able to know that, that doing an hour and a half, hour and forty minute show is not a problem because it's very because it can be very physical, and I haven't felt that, so I say kind of stay, stay generally fit. Because it's a very physical, it can be a very physical thing to be on the road, for sure. Thank you for sharing, Piers, regarding some of your techniques and staying fit and the importance of that. I do want to ask you this question in regards to, you are a professional drumming tutor. How did you get into this aspect of the business? And tell us a little more about that, please. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of started teaching when I was about... 15 and it was actually just just friends of my parents who had their son was a few years younger than me and they approached my mum and dad actually and said what do you reckon about 
peers teaching Alistair and I and they had a chat without talking to me um, and they said yeah but like we can like we can kind of like oversee that if you want us to if you want him to give it a go and they and I was kind of up for it and I, I don't really know how I I mean I'd had a tutor for years prior to then so but I never but you know I guess you've got to start somewhere with everything haven't you and yeah so as as music teachers themselves they were kind of able to listen in and make sure that I wasn't totally useless and then I kind of from that I don't really know where they came from but I ended up with I don't know five or six students over the course of the next year or so which you know quite well paid compared to my mates doing paper rounds so I didn't ever I didn't ever go out and get like a job in a shop or whatever as a as a teenager I was just teaching and then I've always kept that I've always kept teaching all that all of that time sometimes still only like half a dozen people a week even through touring like I just said look you know if I'm away I'm away that's fine they found that acceptable I've never had a tutor that's that's not been away for gigs and stuff and then yeah pretty much when I so I've had this space that I'm currently sat in now is a practice studio at the end of my garden which I've had here for over 10 years now so it's a pretty convenient space for all sorts of things and so once I, I obviously I used to teach over at my folks at my parents place and they had just about enough room for that but this has been a great space for me here and ever since we did kind of have that bit of a break I just took on more just advertised a bit more and and I, I mean it's not the most sociable of things sometimes in terms of hours because you do a lot of stuff in the evening but I work from home all the time with it I enjoy being one-on-one with people I enjoy being with people I'm fairly I'm fairly outgoing like part of it is also it's not just about teaching drums sometimes I feel like I'm a bit of a therapist <laughs> so yeah there, there are a lot of elements to there are a lot of elements to teaching which I've discovered over the years but I feel quite I feel quite lucky that I've been done been doing it for so long enough and it feels kind of second nature to me really and I've never really not done it. I had read while doing my homework you had said set targets and goals for necessary rudimental practice use determined periods of time and play to a metronome use your metronome in the same way that people use weighing scales and you will find progress encouraging while working with your students do you set goals with them? Yeah, so I always try and encourage them because, because the, the basic exercises, well, the basic exercises, all the first few things I ever learned in drums are some of the most important things. And like I said earlier, I do a lot of practice into a practice pad rather than on a kit, and some of that can be quite hard to motivate yourself to do. So... The use of a the use of a clock, so you set you set yourself goals in terms of periods of time, and the use of a metronome. Obviously, a metronome number one is that's is going to help you keep more in time as a musician in general. If you're able to play to one, particularly as a drummer, and when you're obviously aware that when you pull yourself out of that scenario, everyone's going to be playing to you anyway. So you are their metronome, and if you're not actually particularly in time, then the band isn't going to be very good. So there's that element. And also a metronome works kind of in the same way that, like I said, yeah, kind of weighing scales, if you like, where you think, right, well, I'm, I'm doing exactly the same exercise. I'm just going round and round and round. But I want to know that I'm getting better at it. And somebody the other side of the door might not actually register that you're getting better at it. But if you're playing something at 90 BPM one month and the next month you're at 100 B- BPM, then you're improved as long as it's even you're a better player than you were a month ago. And sometimes without that, it's kind of hard to gauge. And also that metronome pushes you. So it's not all about playing fast, right? Sometimes it's actually about knowing where your limit is and then pulling it right back and seeing if you can actually play a good groove at two-thirds of that. And that can be just as hard as trying to play as fast as possible. So it is about timing, but it is also about extending your abilities or, or or raising your technical ceiling basically and sitting there and playing straight eighth grooves to to records is very limiting in being able to do that 
So yeah, it's it's about trying to find motivating ways to do repetitive stuff. Basically, it is like exercise. So if you went to a gym and you had, you know, plenty of people use treadmills in a gym, no one's going to use a treadmill that doesn't give them any information on what they're actually doing. All right. So you want to know how long you're going, how many calories you're burning, how far you've gone. The, the gradient that you're using, all of that information is motivating and gives you goals and you push yourself. You're like, right, I'm going to try and do this at this speed now or I'm going to go uphill 0.5 or whatever it is. But without all of that, you either wouldn't use it or if you did use it, it wouldn't be half as efficient. You wouldn't use it half as efficiently as you, as you would with all that information being thrown back at you. So it's kind of using as many elements as you can to get you better more efficiently. I taught elementary school children for over 20 years. Some would say that I was a very kind of creative teacher, strict teacher, whatever adjective they could come up with. How would your students kind of label you as their teacher? How did they see you as the motivator? I not I'm not, no I'm not like I'm not like the guy out of whiplash. Because I have to sometimes, I have to really, you have, to, you have to appreciate that when people come come into a space such as this, most of them don't want to do it, you know, most of them don't want to do it professionally. A lot of them don't even want to be in a band, right? They just want to be able to play and have fun. So, and everyone has a different agenda. An important element of getting people to respond to you is by being their friend first. So, you know, if they can't, if they can't relate to you or if they see you as this, you know, this highly disciplined taskmaster you might get some results out of some people but but I, I would hate to think people would go away from being in my company and not enjoying it so I think I also I always say people to say to people don't practice for me practice for yourself I would also hate to think people kind of practice out of fear because they're coming here I used to I used to play piano I wish I'd done it for longer but one of my main memories, I didn't dislike my, my I had a number of tutors in the end because I was really slow and, and I think they probably been, wanted to bin me off. But my main memory is trying to practice really close to the lesson that I was about to have because I was, I was kind of in fear of going into a lesson without having practiced. When actually, you want to be practicing right after the lesson you've had whilst everything's still fresh in your mind and you can improve on it yourself. I mean, a bit of both is good. But I was, yeah, I was kind of, I ended up kind of practicing. Maybe fear is a bit of a strong word, but I wasn't practicing for the right reasons. And um, so I was trying, I was trying to make sure that people enjoy my company, enjoy being at Kit, but primarily are motivated to practice for themselves. Thank you for sharing. How can people find you? with regards to your professional tutor work? Pretty easily, actually. So I've got a, I kind of use my Twitter space, which is very easy to pick people out and for all sorts of bits of everything. My uh, band stuff, I post occasionally about drums, I post about football a lot. So that's, I think I am Piers Boxer. And on Facebook, I've got Piers Hewitt Drums. And I am on Instagram as well. And that again, that is a bit more of a general. That is a bit more of a general one. And I, I think I'm Piers, I'm Piers Boxer on Instagram as well. There's no, there's, <laughs> there's no elusiveness here. There's no. I remember we talked about this a lot. Actually, we talked about this a lot when, um, obviously, the last ten years or so, as as musicians, as acts, it's almost you know, it's part of your existence, stroke job to put yourselves out there because it's because of social media and stuff. And I think, you know, there's a, there is an element to us. We, we used to, one of the early bands that we used to really like collectively was uh, the, the early stuff of Interpol had quite an influence on us. They had quite a mystique about them. You know, I didn't, I, I knew what they looked like, but I didn't know, I didn't know anything about them beyond that, other than I saw them on stage a bunch of times and they looked, they looked super cool and their music was really cool. I, you know, 
I don't I don't need to know what they had for breakfast. But we are where we are and we couldn't have pursued our career from the point that we did without being, you know, social media sluts, you wanna call it that. So uh, yeah, we're all out there. There's no mistake here. Before we move on to the next topic, we'll be open arms EP. Is there anything else you'd like to share about drumming? When I started playing drums, it wasn't until I was about 16 or so, which I I considered the possibility of doing it as, as a job. And I feel like I was, very, I was, I was aided massively by the fact I've been playing for a long time prior to then. And I guess it just felt like the hobby that it is for most people. And, and it was only, it was only by being in that spot at that time that I consider going to contemporary music college instead of studying something like politics at university or whatever. But if I hadn't got to that crossroads, and I feel fortunate that I did, and I wasn't brave enough to make that decision instead of going on the conveyor belt of school, university, whatever, I would never, I would never have done any of what we what i've done over the last couple of decades i've fitted in i feel like i've always i always say we feel i feel very lucky to have been in this band because we've had so many peaks and troughs it's never been like it's never been just a trajectory from from down here to up there and then we we've done it there's been an awful lot to to deal with good and bad but we've had so many We've been together for so many years and we've had so many stories to fill a lot more than a lifetime. And I'm, and you know, touch wood, I'm nowhere near the end of it, but I wouldn't swap it for anything. And I guess, I guess what I'm saying is if you get an opportunity to be brave and do something different, if you know that you have something in you, do it because it's really easy to not do it. And, and I and I guess yeah, like I said, I I, I had to inadvertently. I think I, I I had to make that decision at sixteen, and I'd been playing for years. But sometimes that decision is is, is can be a very difficult one. I was I was I was well supported. We didn't have loads of money, but I was well supported in making that decision. And they've always been very proud of what I've what I've gone to do. I'm not going to retire at fifty five like some of my school friends who have you know had successful banking jobs or whatever, but it's not about that. It's about being able to at least go some way to fulfill what you feel like you might have inside of you, particularly obviously from a creative point of view, because what's been super cool about what we what we've done is it's never been too it's never I don't feel like it's ever been too self-indulgent. It's been an absolute pleasure to read and 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 meet read about and meet people who's who feel that they want to tell us how much of a profound effect our music has had on them and and again none of that would have happened if i hadn't if i hadn't been at that crossroads so if you are at that crossroads whatever it is however however big it might feel in terms of your decision making at least think think about it thoroughly and if you can make the brave decision over the easy decision then you might have a lifetime of stories just the same well said my friend well said can we talk about this brand new ep open arms of course we can yeah yeah so congratulations on the release of this four track wonderfully crafted songs we're going to hear a few snippets from two of these songs but give us a little background on how these songs came about. Who did you work with? And why an EP now? Well, we'd ha- obviously we'd had quite a bit of time off. COVID enhanced as well. We, ne- we never split up. We, never, we, we knew we didn't want to split up. We'd just been doing it for so long. I think everybody needed a bit of a break after the last album kind of campaign. We'd been kind of, We'd been kind of away from each other for, I don't know, a good year and a half. And then COVID hit. And it was a pretty unmotivating time for musicians to, you know, dip their toes back in the water during during that. And to, to some degree, kind of still is. 
think the industry has suffered massively as a result of all of that. And nothing, it feels like nothing is, nothing comes easy anyway, but certainly now. Um, so one thing we did want to do was <laughs> we wanted to, we wanted to remaster all of our back catalog and, and put it out on vinyl because we realized we'd only ever released our first three albums in a box set. And I think we only, re- we only released 500 of them. And we were looking at these box sets that people were selling for like hundreds of pounds online. And we we're like, hang on a minute. This, this isn't this isn't right. So we kind of thought, let's remaster this so we can get this out to people that really want it. So that's quite a big project. And particularly again after like after Brexit, Brexit's been a nightmare as well. <laughs> it came to a point where we realised it's going to take an awful long time to you know get things rolling in terms of reissuing and remastering and getting vinyl sorted and everything. And the lead up time to stuff is horrendous now. So it's quite a long process anyway. We were kind of going through going through this and and uh, and our, our management our manager was like you should you know you should probably do some uh, probably do some gigs. And they were like yeah yeah I guess we could do some yeah we should, we should do some gigs yeah we should do some gigs. So we kind of looked at doing some doing some shows a bit far reaching to think about like you know doing extensive touring right now particularly in the states and for more reasons than just, you know, it's a money pit for bands that don't play to more than 5,000 people. And then that kind of materialised into, you should, you know, you should really, you should really put some new music out. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's a bit of a nostalgia run of shows and we didn't want that either. So why an EP? i tell you why, because we wouldn't have really had the time to, putting a whole album together you know we're not we're not guys that sit in the studio day in day out we we actually have quite a lot of different stuff going on we don't live anywhere near each other two of the guys are in london i'm here andrew is up in oxford and so we we kind of did what what we didn't want to do was do something half-baked in terms of the quality of it so we came together beginning of last well kind of spring last year really and so we kind of knew that we, you know, we knew that an album wasn't going to be possible if we wanted to have new material available, even if it's just like a couple of songs by the time we, we were doing some dates at the end of last year. So yeah, we kind of put these together in the spring. We recorded, we recorded it in a, in a cool space down in, in, a, in a town called South End, which is on the coast in Essex, with a great guy called Sam Duckworth, who is more well-known certainly for being the voice, well, he is Get Kate, Where Kate Fly. And he's super talented, super passionate. He was so excited to be putting us back, being part of us and putting material back out. Uh, and that's always great. You know, as a band, it's fantastic to work with people who are excited about your your music. One thing I will always say to bands, actually, is no one will care about your band more than you will, I think in terms of people that can make things happen, right? Sam had a glint in his eye as if it was his own stuff. And I, and that was really cool. And I really enjoyed being his, in his space. He was so relaxed. And the, the, the plan is actually pretty soon to get together in that space and, and write some more stuff. How long that will take, is, it's, it's open-ended. But what we wanted to make sure was we wanted to kind of not only have obviously our back catalogue available to loads of people that wanted it but also tell people we, we can still make some good music here so don't go anywhere and they had to what they haven't we were actually in terms of our dates that we put out and that we did in, in the autumn we were quite we were really quite blown away by how quickly they a lot of them sold out and how much of an appetite there, there still was we didn't know if anyone was going to be that bothered about coming out to see us so some of those shows were quite emotional, to be honest with you. And the whole process of getting together, it's you know, it's still a logistical challenge and it will probably remain so, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. And I don't think we'll be gonna we'll be going away anytime soon. We just we just can't get all around the world and tour to tour in every city, I'm afraid. So we're gonna start with this first song. 
This is open arms and I love the drum pattern here. So when you hear open arms, peers, 
what was the approach for this song as far as your style drumming? What were you going for with the open arm? Well, it kind of, I think the guys kind of wanted that, that set process beat at the beginning to kind of, kind of, to kind of set it off. And I've had, this has happened to me, that has happened to me a few times actually in the last, not so much on Ghost Alive, but certainly on Ocean by Ocean and, and Promises, where our, our writing process has changed a bit. And say, like Nathan's written a chunk of, a chunk of a song and he's wanted to have a beat underneath, right? And it's really easy to kind of have like a synthetic beat and just to, and to go and then record chords, melody, bosh, and then suddenly it was sounds pretty good. And so it's, it's been quite it's been quite a challenge to to work out how to get involved sometimes as a live drummer in because you know the the music the music making changes perfectly fine you know it's not it's not an issue but what you know i think we've always wanted to have a keep a live element to it but we've that that kind of became a challenge for me a couple of albums ago and and i guess just again coming back to serving the song and making sure that you're, you know, I'm not going. Well, well I want to be on this song, right? So subtle things like just that that drum pattern that kind of interjects, where it just shifts the emphasis a little bit, and rather than busting your way to the front and making sure everyone knows that there's drums in it, actually just just making the song a bit more of a journey than it would have been if it was just how it is at the top. So I kind of enjoyed that element of it, to be honest with you. Kind of creating a build sometimes with something that has already existed, whereas, you know, three or four albums ago, the build would have been, we, we created all the build. And we, we used to write an awful lot together in one room, put the microphone on, put, you know, put, the, put a mic on, press record, and we just have a demo straight away. And uh, I think we would have stagnated a little bit if we'd have continued with that particular process. So it's kind of good how we've how we've evolved, but certainly with open arms, I can hear that element of me wanting to like expand the song a little bit more than what it would have been without without live drums in there. Yes, and that clearly manifests itself, and particularly with this next song, "A Man as Alive as a City." Let's take a listen.
What a great song. So, Piers, what I hear in that song is what I often hear in the way that you approach your drum style. And that is that incredible use of the kick pedal to really ignite and seems almost like a communal building thing, particularly in a live setting. What was your approach with that song in terms of your style? Well, to be honest, it was born out of having like a like a four a kick four on the floor on the kick anyway. Like again, that was a part of the that originated from the top. And then creating and, and this is this has been an element in again a couple of certainly more than a couple of songs on Ocean by Ocean and Promises of right, this this can be a real big builder. So how do I wanna how do I want how would I want to hear this song go? Right? <clears throat> so yeah, I, I think actually more important than the kick is is kind of that that si- the sixteenth feel that bringing on 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 the toms and then gradually bringing that kind of snare in. We yeah we layered a bit uh, layered a few bits over the top. That's not unusual. And then keeping it where it all again some of those live drums kind of almost sound a little bit synthetic themselves. And then we just have that. I'd really really love that explosion of. Oh, this is definitely a live kit coming in now, which which lifts it a little bit more. So yeah, that's my that's my favourite of the EP actually. Not just because it has more drums in it, but I actually feel like everyone everyone's probably at their best actually in that for me. Nathan's part is really quite different. I love the I like I really like his bravery of staying on the same melodic line a lot. He's never really done that before. Adam and Andy are great in it. Really, I think we all, that's probably the song where we all come to a, a bit of a boiling point together a little bit collectively, I suppose. So we're going to wrap up this conversation real quickly with a part of this discussion where the artist gets to share two to three albums that have had a significant impact on their life. Would you mind sharing yours? Yeah. So I've, I've got two here because you happened to mention it in the same room that all of my now unused CDs are still sitting, but I can't bear to get rid of them. So I mentioned this earlier. So this is this is Spin Doctor's Pocket Full of Kryptonite. So this would have come out, yeah, when I was 12. So for a little time in my life, I knew all the feels to this. Uh, the drums, the drums were massive. They obviously they were. It was quite funky, I suppose. I don't really like that word necessarily, but I can't really think of anything else to describe it. But he's a good drummer, really good drummer. And this is, this is what probably made me, like I said earlier, made me want to play the drums the most initially. It was really exciting. And not from a drumming perspective, this is the record that made me think about music differently, how progressive music can be and also this also taught me this is it's not all about the drums even though he serves he serves it all he serves it all perfectly fine obviously but i cannot look beyond okay computer sometimes it it's not something you're putting on at a party <laughs> not even putting it on in the car with the i'm never putting it on with the car with the kids they'll just tell me tell me to turn it off but I hate, here's a little fact about this. I didn't really like it for about three months. I thought it was dreary. I thought it, it wasn't interesting enough for me from almost from a drumming perspective. But I, I, I wasn't listening to it right. And the best thing about this, I don't know a single album out there which I can listen to, particularly if you listen to it on different things. And sub, suddenly you hear, a, you, hear a, you hear a musical part that you've never heard before. And there aren't many records like that. This is one of the most progressive records there's ever been. And I can't look past it. And the one I haven't got physically in front of me is probably an album that meant the most to us as a band. Or or you might hear this in, in Cold Still a little bit, but Boxer by The National was a big... It was a big album for us. And it was there aren't many albums as a band that we all agree on they really are. It's really, really easy in a band for you. So you should check this out. And it, you almost get a bit proud about it. You're like, no, I'll check it out. Yes, sure. I'm sure I'll check it. And then you just go, yes, all right. You know, but that album, 
as a as a as a four piece at that time that 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 meant an awful lot to to all of us it just uh, it was also the right time it was the right time for them it was the right time for us to hear that type of music to get us out of we were quite heavy prior to then but there were there were ways of being heavy and then it also i think it taught us a bit of a tender side as well to how to how to how to write tender records as a band not just right well i'm just going to play this on acoustic you know so yeah i i will uh, i will always be grateful for that album actually i think it made our songwriting better over that period wonderful selection of albums bands there let's wrap it up how can people find your work what's next for your band any last comments i mean in terms of in terms of the band you'll be able to find our work very easily it's all out there all your socials all your streamings we are planning on doing some dates in europe unfortunately for you the end of the year we're in the process of actually looking and booking at the moment so we can't announce anything yet but there will be and like i said there there is yeah we do have it we do have it in our locker of desire to write some new material because what we've what we've seen the last couple of years has been like yeah a little bit humbling in that you know people actually do want to hear some new music and and we've got a fan base that hasn't really gone away and i'm very i feel privileged that that's the case and it's really however small or big your record release is it's always great to have music to share with new music to share with people it's a very proud it's always a very proud moment from the very first thing we ever released to you know, the, the most successful thing we've released. Nothing's ever changed in that regard. I'll always go to whatever town or city it is and see people queuing up to see us play and be proud, whether that is 15 people or 1,500, however many, it will never change. And I don't, I'd like to think the guys are still the same and it might be, logistically difficult these days and we don't do it full time together but that doesn't mean that there isn't great music in us that hopefully will mean just as much to people as the previous stuff that we've released Pierce here thank you so much for this conversation greatly appreciative of your time I learned some really valuable information with regards to who you are as a drummer as a human being and yeah, best of wonderful uh, success, continued success with Open Arms EP. It really is a wonderful four track uh, album, if you will. And uh, looking forward to hearing more in the future. So thank you. No problem. Thanks for, thanks for having me. My name is William, host of the High Art on the Edge page. This has been a surprise cast. Pierce Hewitt, drummer for the Boxer Rebellion. And professional drumming tutor. Take care, everyone. Ciao. Breathe in the